This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream. Hello, dreamers. Hello, wakers, waker-upper dreamers, ones who are in search of something and yet understanding that seeking it from pure materialism just ain't gonna cut it. (laughs) I'm in a mood today. A weird mood, an interesting mood, a moody mood, I don't know. So I'm recording this on Tuesday, November 13th, yes. And uh, somehow America survived the midterm elections. And uh, even though there's, you know, bitching and moaning going on, both on the right and the left, which always makes me laugh. Uh, We got through it. We're still here. We flipped the House to Democratic majority. And the Senate is, uh, looks like we're going to lose two seats. uh, But who knows? You know, maybe Florida will come about. (laughs) Doubtful, though. Um... So, yeah, we survived the midterms. And, I mean, I remember two years ago, (laughs) right after (laughs) Donald Trump was elected, uh, like, we were already set on the midterms. Like, we're going to flip the midterms. That was, like, started two years ago in our consciousness, holding that reality of that, you know, we need to bring some sort of breaking system to this insane runaway train. And now two years in, which I cannot believe it's two years in. I remember uh, I watched Brian Williams on MSNBC and like every night he says like what day it is in the Trump administration. And I remember like just like day 10 thinking like day 10, how is that possible? And now we're like into the 600s. It's uh it's a dream. Uh, it's all a dream, folks. We are in a weird ass hell fire strange dream. Uh, and yet, here we are. Here we are. Uh, and speaking of hellfires, uh, I don't know if you all know, but I live in Los Angeles, far away from the hellfire. But oh my. Wow. Uh, it's been five days now Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. It's day six of this Woolsey fire. And uh, uh, Malibu has a precious, precious, precious place in my heart. Um, I spent a lot of time there as a teenager, both um, hanging out with friends and partying and being on the beach in different places, but also mainly my family uh, owned a horse ranch, a horse barn way out in Malibu around the Zuma Beach area. And in the late 70s, early 80s, I think it was actually 1980, uh, there was a fire at the barn and all the horses got out. I had a horse that was injured, but um, all the horses got out, but the barn itself burned down. And um, so they rebuilt it into a newer, more beautiful barn. And then we don't own it anymore. And this other person owns it now. But um, 
So the barn, I believe, is standing. I've been watching the news coverage whenever they pan over to like Malibu High School or whatever. It's right near there. I think it looks okay and everything's there. The only thing original from that original barn was this little front house that was a red and white wood and it matched a house up on the hill, which is no longer gone. They tore that down and separated those parcels and built two monstrosities on it. Um, <clears throat> so all those houses are still standing, but the little house was still there. And uh, I just, my heart was breaking thinking it was going to burn, but really what's breaking is that it's just, it's so intense. It's so terrifying. It's so intense. And um it's it's not like it used to be. Back in the day when we lived way up in the Palisades, you know, there would be a fire up in Malibu Canyon or up in Topanga, which was like, you know, two or three or four canyons away from where we lived. And it would just be, I mean, yeah, there'd be Santa Ana winds, but there was also winter every year and we got rain every year. And um, so, you know, the the hillsides and the plants and the ecosystems were just so much more resilient. And now it's, you know, six out of the last seven years, we've had barely a winter. Uh, We've had a drought winter. And so this, all this chaparral, which is already very combustible, um, is now just, you just look at it wrong and it lights on fire. So it's just been terrifying, and there's just so many people have been displaced, a lot of friends I know and people, and I know a few people who've lost their homes, so my heart breaks for that. But it's just, it makes me sit, and I'm guessing many of you who live in hurricane zones or getting these deluges of rain like you've never gotten before or these weird snowstorms that pile so much snow or no snow, um, it's like, you know... I mean, we talk about it, right? We know, well, oh yeah, climate change is here, and now they're calling it climate catastrophe and all of that. But it's it is really here, and we really start need to start doing something very serious and very real about it. And it's hard because we're all plugged into a system that's very slow, and systems are very slow, but individuals aren't, and. So there are choices that we can make as individuals that will have an impact. I mean, if millions of us made these choices, it would make a huge impact and actually change the direction of business and governments because we are ultimately the consumers and the marketplace and the voters. So, uh, you know, change can happen when we actually make the change. And uh, and it's not perfect yet, but my husband and I, we just got an electric car I don't know if any of you know, but in February of this year, I auctioned off my dad's old car, an 850 BMW that he loved, a big 12-cylinder gas guzzler, but it was a race car. It was a gorgeous car, and I'd had it for 10 years, and um, or almost 10 years, and I knew it was time, and I, I hadn't bought a new car since 2004. And uh, Bob and I have been wanting an electric car. So we got ourselves a little Chevy Bolt, and her name is Little Bo Beep, and I love her. And the next step is to get some solar panels installed on our roof. We were told originally by a solar company that our neighbor's trees block most of them, and it's not really going to be able to do much on our whole house. But if I can replace the, you know, what I'm taking out of the grid for the electrical of the car, then um, I'm going to do that. 
And the fact that I get to drive by gas stations and know that I'm no longer consuming gas, um, at least in one of our family cars, it's incredible. It's an incredible sense of freedom. I feel, I feel a bit like an arrogant vegan <laughs> when I drive down the road and I'm like, oh, you, you poor people in your combustible engines still, you know, uh, I've got a little bit of that going on, but I don't. I don't share it except for sharing it right now with you guys. Uh, but I have to say, it's it's a sense of pride because I've been wanting to do this for years and we just didn't make the leap and now we've made the leap. And I I can't imagine ever going back, at least for my city car, um, to ever have a, a gas-powered car again. Um, so very, very excited about that. And that's my little part that I'm doing. And... I'm also really starting to think very seriously, not that I'm ready to make the leap, but um, about changing my diet. And I just got my cholesterol levels back and they're high. Shocking. After two years of basically eating comfort food, even while staying inside my Weight Watchers points. I mean, at one point I lost 12 pounds this summer. I I gained about five of it back. So I'm, I'm working on getting rid of those five right now, but my, my LDL is high so, uh, bye-bye saturated fat. And that's basically the dairy, like the ice cream I eat every night, because God knows, you know, when you're watching Rachel Maddow, you need to eat a bowl of ice cream. <laughs> it's really the only way to get through it all. And I've been eating more beef than I usually have. I love beef. I love eating it. Um, I am a meat eater. I fully admit that. But I, you know, my understanding that is between gas and domesticated eating agriculture, the animal agriculture end of the business. Those are the two biggest contributors to um, our carbon release stuff, you know, that part, our carbon footprint. And uh, so I'm quitting beef right now because of my cholesterol. So it's a selfish thing. I want to keep my, my heart and my arteries good, which I know my heart's good right now because I had a big scare over last New Year's Eve. But um, uh, but I'm really thinking seriously about <clears throat> cutting down the meat a lot and um, just trying to figure out how to do that because I do love meat and and it's a part of just how I function and, and changing your food is really intense and can be difficult. And of course it can be easy too, because it's a mind shift and it's a mindset. Um, but you know, it takes a little more effort to become vegetarian or vegan. And, uh, I don't know if I have it in me. I'll see. I really will see. Uh, I mean, there's a part of me that really does just does want to just go vegan and be done with it. But, uh, how do I get my protein? How do I do that? I can't eat soy products um, because of my high risk for breast cancer. So uh, if any of you have any ideas about that, uh, which I'm sure you do, uh, you can at me on Twitter at Kelly underscore Carlin. um, Or if you're a Patreon person, come on the Patreon page and type underneath this post and we can talk about it. And let me know how you're reducing your carbonate footprint because I'm interested in all of that. And it's really, you know, it's no more like, oh, someday I'll do that or that'll be nice or whatever. You know, it it's beyond an inconvenient truth. It's an inconvenient terror. That's what it is. It's an inconvenient terror. 
So that's going on. Uh, so we survived the midterms. We've uh, basically survived the fires. And oh my God, <sighs> that fire in Northern California. I, I, I cannot even imagine. I, I don't even understand the, the scale of that town paradise and what that is. It's, it's really kind of beyond our individual human comprehension and what those people are living through right now and how many people are missing. And um, that whole place is gone. 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 Uh, a whole little town, village? I don't know. What is it? 27,000 people? What is that? A city? A village? A town? I don't know what it is. It's gone. I mean, it's like gone. Um so I I don't know if our human minds are like can handle shit like this. <laughs> uh you know, it's like you know, it's like thinking about when you you know you think learn history and you, you know you learn about how many people died in World War 1. Uh World War 2 also, but um or both the world wars. You know, you just you cannot comprehend that amount of death or it, during the flu epidemic, you know, at the turn of the century. I mean, it's just so anyway, I think we're we're going to be doing a lot more of that, having to like wrap our heads around impossibilities. And I don't know what that means for the human condition, like and for human evolution. Like how does that how is this serving our evolution of consciousness as a species? I mean, in some ways we're going to be I mean, I don't want to be an, a, a doomsday girl, but on some level, there's going to be, I'm guessing, a pretty large devastation of our species in the next 200 years, uh, even with technology and all that stuff. I mean, between viruses and things, I mean, who knows, right? So, and yet this condition change um, is going to set us, you know, in one of two different directions maybe both directions, I really, really hope. And one of the directions is, you know, when when conditions change and people feel threatened and resources feel like they are getting um, less abundant, uh, people go backwards in their evolutionary consciousness. And so we go from uh, democracies to authoritarian to authoritarianism. Uh, and, and part of that is because um, in order to control the chaos, because there's so much fear in people that people just want to be safe and secure more than anything else. And so they look for a strong leader who will get them through it and who will lead them through it and who will um, protect them like a father figure or a mother figure, but it's usually a father figure. Hmm. And uh, so we're, that's part of, I believe, what is happening trend-wise in America and in Europe, this uh, rise of this. Well, first of all, it's always been there. And it's just, it's been revealed now because there's a leader who doesn't say the right things in public and doesn't believe the right things. Uh, I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, but also because people in their bones for the last, mm, I'd say about 20 years, have felt the oh shit of the planet. Um, and it got worse. It, the, the stakes went up with 9-11 here in America when America realized, oh, <laughs> we're not a little precious darlingness that doesn't get touched by 
real catastrophe and real darkness. Uh, so that shifted uh, the American consciousness, I believe. And now with the looming reality of climate catastrophe, uh, people can't deny it. I mean, even people who don't want to believe it or voted for deniers of climate science or um, conspiracy theorists or um, whatever, people cannot deny that the, the weather has changed. And this isn't just an anomaly, that the weather change has changed because the climate has changed. And, um, <clears throat> and so I believe that's why we are seeing this sense of panic and terror and inner panic, inner terror, uh, inner holy shitness. And that's leading us to, you know, well, let's just get someone who's got a big stick and we'll fight off the bad people who want my, um, I don't know, my cheap goods at Target. <laughs> yeah, so, um, and so it's a natural kind of human instinct to do that maybe an animal instinct even. But there's another possibility, right? Because if there's everything feels so impossible, then maybe we are learning to sit with the impossible. And if we're learning to sit with the impossible, maybe that means our definition of what is possible is big is 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 limitless is bigger than we thought it was knowing what is possible believing what is possible is essential to moving forward in one's life when we don't think we have choices we live that way i remember being in my first marriage and I was married to an older man and we had gotten together. I was 18. He was 29. It was insane. You can read about it in my memoir if you want. But it was bad news. It was very highly dysfunctional. It was the wrong move for me. And yet I was in it. And about uh, four years into it, I finally buckled and said I'd marry the guy. Uh, I felt obligated in some way. I, so I was a rescuer and enabler in my own way. It's what I'd learned in my in my own family. Um, and so we got married in Vegas, and some some friends came, and you know, my dad used to play there and stuff like that. So we got married in Vegas so that we could be legally married. And then we went had a beautiful, beautiful ceremony in the Caribbean. And I was going to wear like a real wedding dress there. And it was going to be this very, very small affair. I was at this very, very shishi private place in on the island of St. Martin on the French side, a place called La Samana. And uh, so we had gotten married in Vegas in, oh my God, I don't even remember my first wedding anniversary. <laughs> Holy shit. This is really weird. I cannot remember when we got married. Anyway, I think it was later in the year. And um, yeah, it was. Because then we went, I think it was September. September or October. Wow, I cannot remember right now. This is kind of freaking me out. So we so we went into the down to the Caribbean, like we always did, around Christmas time. And um, so before we left, though, 
Andrew, my ex, and I had been doing a lot of drugs for many, for four years together. And I was getting burned out. I was 22 years old. I had done my share. I was, it was cocaine mainly, snorting cocaine, very high grade stuff. And um, I was pretty much done. And I'd been quitting and not quitting and quitting and not quitting for a while, but I was done. And I need, knew I needed to like get on with my life and figure out who I was going to be as a grown up. And so I went to him and said, you know, we, we need to quit now. We need to stop this. We need to grow up. We need to just figure out another way to be in the world. And um, he totally agreed. And it was like the biggest relief of my life because it was like, okay, I really do have a life partner. This is this is how it's supposed to work. You're, you're adults with each other and you tell each other your needs and you work together to have a, a shared vision of your life. And he had a, a kid. So I was a stepmom at the time and, and Elliot was about seven years old, six or seven by then. And, you know, it was like, you know, it's time for us to not be doing this and not have our life affected, which is affecting the kids. We had him part-time and I was basically replicating my own childhood by partying. It was just insane. Partying with, you know, a kid in the household like my parents did. <clears throat> so we agreed not to do any more drugs. Um, and so we were going to go fly down to the Caribbean. And my best friend, Teresa, came with us. And my dad's manager, Jerry, was there to be the best man. And this beautiful, beautiful resort. It's insane. Like all these like crazy A-list people were there. It's just a crazy place. And um, so we get there. And it's, it's a huge ordeal to get there. You have to fly from like LA to San Juan, Puerto Rico, and then San Juan, Puerto Rico to down to the island. And sometimes you fly through Dallas. I mean, it's like a 13-hour day to get there. It's like you might as well be going to Europe from the, the West Coast, LA. And we get there and it's, you know, dark and we're tired and exhausting or whatever. And I, um, I love when I get to a hotel room, if I'm going to be there over two days, I completely unpack. I use the drawers, I use the things. And of course, we were going to be there like 10 days or whatever, maybe two weeks, can't remember, a long time. So I'm unpacking everything and putting everything away. And I get to the bottom of my suitcase and inside my shoe is an eighth of an ounce of cocaine. And I am just horrified. I'm I'm betrayed. I feel betrayed. I feel shit upon. I, I, I feel the whole weight of it. And in that moment, I knew that I didn't really have a marriage. I did not really have a partnership and that I was in deep shit. And yet I was already legally married because we had just married a month or so ago in Vegas. But I didn't know I had a choice. In my mind, all I could hear was my mother's mother telling her, you made your bed, so lie in it. And I did not know I had a choice in that moment. I did not know that I had a real choice to go and walk over to my parents. I flushed the Coke down the toilet right away, by the way, <laughs> and had a screaming fit. Um, but I did not know I had a choice to tell him that I wanted an annulment. I didn't know I had the choice that I could walk out the door and go to my parents' area, villa, or whatever they were staying in and say, I can't do this. Um, here's what just went down. Um, you know, I'd been really, never really shared with them a lot of my cocaine, heavy cocaine usage, even though they knew it was going on. And, and so I really did not know 
or think or believe that I had a choice. I believed that I was stuck. I did not see all the options on the multiple choice (laughs) answer sheet. (laughs) Uh, It was very black and white for me. It was either stay or total humiliation. You know, there was like, I couldn't figure out anything past the humiliation or that people would understand or that people really knew what was going on. I mean, I just did not see a, a real other option. And so I stayed then another uh, seven years with him. That's how much I didn't realize I had a choice. Well, and of course, I didn't learn that I had a choice after seven years after that, but I mean, it was around a few years after that, about three years after that, when I went to UCLA and I realized that I do have a choice, but now I was terrified to leave him because he was into guns and he was very jealous and possessive of me. And I thought he might harm me or my parents if I left him. Once again, not believing I had a choice uh, with a different stake attached to it. But the point of that story is that if we don't know, if we don't expand our concept of what's possible for ourselves as a species, or let's just starting with ourselves as individuals, then we are in a prison. And no, I can't run and fly like I want in my, like I can in my dreams. I mean, it would be really great to, uh, maybe someday I will. I mean, I suppose with a jetpack I could, <laughs> but Besides, like, gravity and, like, some basics of Newtonian physics, um, our idea of what is possible has widened exponentially every year uh, for the last, you know, well, since the beginning, right? But especially the, the last 50 years, 100 years. And personally, I know I mean, those of you who've been on this ride with me on this podcast and kind of watched my journey and my travels the last 10 years, uh, all that I've done the last 10 years, I did not believe was possible in my life until I just started doing it and decided that it was possible. And, And I'm not saying like, oh, just take the possible pill and you'll have a million dollars in the bank or that your, you know, your chronic arthritis will go away. Or, I mean, I'm not like, not talking about that, but I am talking about the fact that we imprison ourselves all day long with our thoughts about our lives and our beliefs about our lives and our beliefs about what we're capable of and what's possible. Um... And I've been living that a lot this year, this last year. I have stepped into a whole different way of being in my life with my work. And I did not think that was possible. And here I am. And I'm getting a chance to do some really amazing, rich work with women through my Women on the Verge program. It's a very intimate program. There's only eight women enrolled, but it's incredibly deep work. Very honored to be doing it. Um you know, uh, just all the work I'm doing right now and and the work on myself I'm doing too. I mean, just things are opening up for me and I'm getting involved in some really cool stuff. So more on that later. But 
But that's what I've been thinking about lately. Like, so think since everything feels impossible, then maybe that just means that everything is possible. And, and it's been a lot of negative stuff we've taken. That's the impossible. Like that's the part that's hard. It's like, oh, I never thought Donald Trump, I never thought a reality star would be president of the United States. And yet here we are, uh, you know, so, so let's take that. Let's take that seriously. Let's take this really seriously. And just right now, wherever you are, I want you to give yourself for the next mm, 30 seconds, one minute, a chance to just let possible, like let everything be possible. And your mind will want to shut you down really quick. Oh, but what about this? What about that? What about this? What? Shut up, mind. Stop the thinking mind. I do not want thinking mind involved in this. But Kelly, what about critical thinking? You can't just rely on, shut up. Just shut up. I want you to just be in possibility for a minute here. What if you lived in a world where anything was possible? What if you could find ways to move towards that which you long for? What if the ways you have been thinking about what you want what stops you, what your life is, what you're supposed to be doing. What if you dropped all of that and let yourself dream and dream big? The only way humanity has ever ever moved itself forward is by great women and great men dreaming big and then taking the steps, the micro steps, the baby steps, the long strides and the leaps to make it happen. Everything that's ever been made, that's not organic, but that has been made on this earth, started out as an imaginary thing in the mind of a human. It started out as an idea, a dream, a vision. So what if you joined this aspect of what it means to be a human and let yourself let go of the stories that you've been told about what you're not capable of, what's wrong with you, what's bad, what's evil, whatever, and start 
dreaming. So, as we know, the title of this podcast is Waking from the American Dream. Yeah, because it's way too limited, this American dream. And we're waking up from the limitation of that storyline. But I also want you to wake up from the limitations of all of your storylines in all of your heads. So give yourself permission to dream. Oh, and I know, I know one of the first things your mind is going to say is, yeah, but I'm just going to be disappointed. I've dreamed before. I'm just going to be disappointed. Yeah, I know that. I know that one. I lived there for about 20 years of my life or longer, actually. But I realized that what disappointed me wasn't that things didn't work out. What really disappointed me was that I gave up over and over again on myself and on my vision because I thought it had to happen a certain way. I thought it had to be exactly how I imagined it and that I felt that the world owed that to me in some way and nothing is owed to any of us. And it might not end up manifesting the way you think it's going to manifest. But if you really get clear about what it is you really want and what really feeds you while you're doing this thing that you want, is it about making the planet a better place? Is it about expressing yourself? Is it about sharing ideas? Is it about building community? Is it about... Um, having more safety and security financially in your life. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, Is it about being connected more to your spiritual life? Is it about cleaning up your psychological life? Whatever it is, get connected to what's the really the meaningful part to you. And then then it doesn't matter what shape it shows up in in your life. If you're fulfilling that, your basic value, then then you're going to be enriched by it. And the package that it comes in isn't really going to matter. We really, the package part of it, like how it's supposed to look and how it's supposed to be, that's all your ego, you know, that's your personality ego that's, you know, attached to that. Um doesn't really matter, actually, I found, discovered this year. So I'm going to leave you with that thought and uh, have a great Thanksgiving. Don't think I'll be talking to you before that. So eat slowly. (laughs) Don't choke on anything. And yeah, I know some of you are going to be seeing your loved ones and Maybe that's difficult for some of you. You have to sit, you know, around the table at a time when it feels so divided in the world. But remember, these people, these family members, these are people who connect you to your ancestors. 
And without your ancestors, you wouldn't be here. So know that at least you have that in common with them and that they are family and that we're all family here. All of us humans were in the family of humans. All of us living sentient creatures were all in that family. And all of us in the biosphere were all here in this family. And then all of us here on this rock, the mountains and the sea and the ice and the forests, we're all here together. So this Thanksgiving, be thankful that we're, we're here. We're alive. We're thinking. We're chewing. We're eating cranberries. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing. It's still amazing. Even with all the shit in the world, it's still amazing. So find your amazing this week. Find your possibility. And uh, I'll talk to you on the other side of Thanksgiving. Thanks for being here. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, you can come over to my Patreon page, which is patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Kelly Carlin. You can support this podcast by pledging to support it. And when you do, uh, you get a little bonus item. And uh, this week, my bonus will be a little bit more about how to take the steps towards what's possible for you. All right, you guys, have a great one. Thank you to everyone who supports this podcast. I love you all dearly. Thank you, Logan, for editing this and adding the music. And uh, here's to less hellfires this week. All right, bye-bye. I'm Dylan Brody, humorist, storyteller, purveyor of fine words and phrases. You know, there is nothing I need more in my life than intellectual stimulation from people who have ideas and thoughts that are outside the mainstream that do something other than convince us of things we already believe. When I need that kind of stimulation, I listen to Kelly Carlin's podcast. Waking from the American dream will change the way you look at your world. But the only way I can continue to provide this service to those of us who require this service is if we band together, if we act as though each individual who provides insight is worthy of his or her own NPR pledge drive. Please go to patreon.com slash Kelly Carlin. You know that society does not support the arts. You know that our government does not support the arts. Is this, is this the arts?
cage of your hope is chained by this crippling self-doubt Have faith, I'll help you figure yourself out Shameless, I ask God for inspiration And she sent you my way So maybe this just had to be Silver lining in the self-destructive tragedy When you're drowning, it's a struggle Trying to stay afloat Keep the faith, cause every struggle is its ray of Shameless, I asked God for inspiration, and she sent you my uh, way. Yeah.